0: And I remember like getting like the palest pink shirt I could find, button up shirt and like the longest knee length skirt I had and like pearls and like pulled my hair back. And I just was so uncomfortable there because I didn't like I didn't fit into this crowd and it wasn't it was because I was trying to fit into what I thought or what I was told a lawyer should be and look like.
1: All right. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show today. We're really excited to have our guest today, uh, Alicia Powell. She's the co-founder of Champions for Philanthropy. Alicia, welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Alicia, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Yeah. So my name is Alicia Powell, uh, co-founder of Champions for Philanthropy. Uh, Champions for Philanthropy is an organization, consulting agency that was founded in 2017 by my co-founder and myself, uh, my co-founder, Michelle Mays. We work with professional athletes in the charitable space. So everything from helping them start up their nonprofit foundations to managing their foundations, as well as helping them create strategic partnerships with existing nonprofits and helping them with their charitable initiatives. So anything in the charitable space with professional athletes, that's what we do at Champions for Philanthropy.
2: Sounds like a fun job. We're certainly interested in hearing more about that. Um, But why don't you wind back to the beginning and tell us kind of the origin of your sorting place. How did you you get into sports or get into kind of this line of uh, of work that you're in?
0: Yeah. So from... As long as I can remember, I wanted to be an attorney. That was my goal. I remember uh, doing a presentation in fifth grade to uh, younger children about what it meant to be an attorney, and doing all this research and you know doing research back then and uh, involved encyclopedias. So uh, it was <laughs> going definitely to a library. A
2: bigger... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> it wasn't as easy as it is now. Um, so that was my passion. Um, I ended up going to uh, law school. And decided while I was in law school that I didn't want to practice law, but I was already there. I was a year and a half, and and um, I had a conversation with my mom, and I, I told her how I just really felt like quitting. I just didn't, you know, I just wasn't passionate about being a lawyer. So why stay in law school? Um, you know, my mom, being the ever so practical voice of reason said, well, you already have the student loans for two years, so you may as well finish and uh, at least, you know, have the degree, whether you use it or not. Um, So I'm really glad I listened, um, because even though, you know, it was tough being in law school, knowing that my end game was different than everyone else's. Everyone else was, you know, they're planning for um, internships and summer associate positions and thinking about what life after graduation would mean and, and preparing for the bar. And for me, it was kind of like, I need to figure out what my path is going to be, because I know it's not to be an attorney. While I was in law school, I was very involved um, with different, lots of different um, activities, um, including founding the Sports Law Society at our school. Uh, We had a sports and entertainment and media law group when I first started that I was involved in, and it sort of dissipated. Um, and I didn't want the sports piece to, to die. I wanted it to be more of a focus because the law school that I went to was in New York city. And I'm like, you know, we have the the leagues here. We have the players associations here. Um, we have so many teams based out of New York. Like this is the perfect spot to focus on sports law and the business of sports. So started the sports law society. Um, and it it was a huge success. Um, and also started the sports law symposium. Um, the idea was to bring together people from the sports business, sports lawyers, um, and other sports folks, uh, and and for uh, a day of uh, conversation. So, bringing together lawyers and law students, uh, focusing on all things sports law. So, they still hold the sports law symposium to this day, which I'm really proud of um, that it continued way after um, I left. Um, but so that so the the passion for sports was always there. Um, My hope was to be an agent. Um, You know, that was my goal initially uh, when I decided that I wasn't going to be an attorney. Um, And, you know, I listened to people who explain all the reasons why I wouldn't make it as an agent. (laughs) So instead of like, (laughs) you know, digging my heels in and saying, um, you know, I can make this work, I said, well, maybe they're, they're right. So I explored other Paths to work in the sports industry. So after I graduated, I um, started doing business and nonprofit consulting, and simultaneously in the background started a lifestyle management company uh, for professional athletes because so it was something I was passionate about, um, and I thought it made sense, and it did. It was a great business model if I had clients, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't. Um, so it took a while for me to get back into sports. Afterwards,
2: wind us back to the beginning. I'm curious about this initial interest in law. What was it when you were that young? Like, was there a, a particular you know, moment or something you saw? Like what drew you to that that field of
0: work? To be honest, th- there were a few different things. Uh, one of the one of the major things. Uh, I knew I wanted to be successful and that was the only thing that I could see that was like successful. So I said, oh, well, I'll be a lawyer, you know? (laughs) And um, even as a kid, I loved to argue and I always had something to say and I always felt the the need to fight about like what I believed in and what I was passionate about. Um, My mom didn't love that. (laughs) My family didn't love that much because (laughs) I, I constantly had stuff to say Um, so I felt like that would be a good profession from what I could see, you know, like that would be a great profession for me because I could say everything I wanted to say and and no one would stop me.
1: (laughs) And so you, it sounds like you stayed on the path, of course, through fruition. Um, if you're comfortable talking about it, what was it that you started turning you off to the field?
0: So You know, before I went to law school, I took some time off between uh, undergrad and law school and I worked at an attorney's office and I, you know, love the attorneys that I worked with, um, but I didn't love the life of an attorney. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't, and granted I was young, um, but I just didn't feel like that was something that I would want to do day in and day out. But I said, "Wait, this is your plan. Like, this is your goal. Just go to law school, and you know, maybe it's just this type of law. Like, you know, maybe you'll find another part of law that you'll, you're passionate about." Um, so, with I had a laser focus. You know, first year you had to take certain classes that everyone had to take. But then, as soon as I could, I started taking summer classes right after my first year. Um, as soon as I could, I, I um, kind of tailored my classes to fit my interests. Um, and even though I was interested in the subject, I still wasn't passionate about it. Like I, I was interested and it wasn't as boring as some of the other law that I had dealt with. Um, but I said, can I see myself doing this day in and day out? Um, and I couldn't. And, um, you know, I still can do, you know, I. People, I feel like if you're a practicing attorney, you should be passionate about it because you have either someone's life in your hands or someone's business or someone's financial interests. Like you have very important things uh, that you have to deal with as an attorney. And I just felt like my skill set was better suited doing something else, something that I was more passionate about.
1: So I've often told uh, up and coming grad students, um, for me at least, and I've heard others say this, usually the PhD programs that we enter are five years. And for most people I've spoken with, the third year is the hardest in part because you've already done the two years and you still have the two years in front of you once you finish the third year. Um, You mentioned earlier that you had kind of um, felt your doubts starting after you'd already put in some time. How did you start navigating through those feelings and thoughts? Was it a gradual process or did you shift pretty immediately uh, to the new plan.
0: You know, the funny part, so with law school being a three-year program, the most intense part is the first year. That's the part, that's the year that they weed people out, the first semester actually. So like a lot of people that I started law school with left or had to leave after the first semester. Uh, So they really just throw you (laughs) into it. So it's like after the first year, after really the first semester, it's better, but especially after the first year, Um, For most people, it's like smooth sailing because you get to choose what classes you want. You can focus on whatever you want. And they, it's like a hazing process, really. The first year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think they, they don't market it that way. That's That's exactly what it is. (laughs) And and it's like, okay, like only the strong survive. Um, Or, you know, people who say like, no, this is what I really want. Like, I'm going to stick with it. Um, I was stubborn in saying like I'm at first even after so the first year was extremely difficult um so then by the year and a half when I'm into it um I decided that I just don't like this (laughs) you know I don't like the culture here like you know uh law school culture is is very competitive and I don't mind competitiveness but I just didn't like the, um, the, I didn't, I just didn't like, I'm not a fan of lawyers. I love the lawyers <laughs> that I love, <laughs> but I just, you know, I, there are some really, really great lawyers that I, I love to this day, but like when you put them all together in the same space, <laughs> it just is not a great environment all the time.
2: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was just reading something this morning that was talking about, you know, belonging and how we're always, right, as humans, we're always striving to see that whether we belong or not, and do we connect? And if it is a group that we really do want to be a part of, but we don't feel like we belong, you know, what do we do then, right? Versus maybe the opposite. What you're talking about now is you kind of recognize that it wasn't a group that you wanted to belong to. So now what do you do that you've invested this time in?
0: Right. And it's a group that I respect. I respect lawyers so much. I respect the time that they put in um, and the effort and what they do. They really change the world. Um, but like you you mentioned about like the belonging, I remember sitting with a, an advisor in law school and um, explaining how I was kind of like how I was feeling like I wasn't actually fitting in when I would go in. And he's like, well, you know, part of it is you need to change. Like, you know, you're a little... you're a little too much, (laughs) you know, like you, you need to tone it down a little bit. And he explained that I just basically wasn't demure enough. Um, So I remember leaving and I had an event that night to go to and it was an entertainment and sports law mixer with other industries as well. And I remember like getting like the palest pink shirt I could find, button up shirt and like the longest knee length skirt I had and like pearls and like pulled my hair back. And I just was so uncomfortable there because I I didn't, like I didn't fit into this crowd and it wasn't, it was because I was trying to fit into what I thought or what I was told a lawyer should be and look like, and it wasn't me. And it showed because I couldn't talk to anyone because I just didn't feel like, you know, and this was a group of lawyers and non-lawyers. So they were also looking at me like, you know, what library did you just come from? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so I think that was like really a turning point for me to say, say, like, I mean, I know a lot of really fabulous lawyers who are show up as themselves all the time. Um, and that's fine, but they're also like, not the, it's just not the normal culture, yes, you know, yes, like absolutely. they, they stand out and I just did it. That just wasn't for me.
2: It's interesting because you said you know you were initially drawn to it, right? Because you had something to say and you wanted to kind of have your say, and so that must have been hard to get that uh, that feedback of you know kind of almost like it, so- it sounds the way I was you know listening to it as you're talking, like it was like stamping out that fire in you.
0: Yeah, I, I, it did. So I had to say, you know, I mean, as a kid, I didn't know what else was out there. So you know, I I knew at a certain point that I wanted to make a lot of money and then I found out in law school that the majority of lawyers don't actually <laughs> make a lot of money they have a lot of loans and you know unless you get a, a, a corporate job where you're working so you know a million hours a week you mm-hmm. actually don't make that much money um so I said okay wait so that's one thing that I thought I was going to have I had this idea of like a corner office a beautiful office and being able to dress up and go to work, like it seems so. I was a kid, but for me, that was like I was like, great, I could do all those things as a lawyer. And I found out, wait, there's lots of other jobs where you can have a nice office and, and make more money than you know lawyers with less debt. But I, you know, I, I didn't think about that beforehand before I got the debt.
1: <laughs> and so it sounds like conversations with your mother helped keep you there at some level. Um, and then you mentioned that. Um, people were telling you why it was a bad idea or why you wouldn't be able to be successful as a sports agent. Could you talk a little bit about what they were telling you?
0: Yeah, um, you know, sp- the sports industry in general, it's a very male-dominated industry. Um, you know, it, that's just the fact that it, it, there's definitely, since the time that I graduated to now, it's, there's definitely a lot more, I'm see, women are a lot more visible in the sports industry and the sports industry is definitely um, making strides in terms of, making sure women are, um, you know, women are in power and women are shown uh, in the, whether it be in the leagues, agencies or whatever, but regardless, um, still to this day, there are not many women agents and there are uh, registered women agents, but they're not actually uh, working with players. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though there have been so many strides made in the sports industry in general, uh, agents for whatever reason, you know, I had, I listened to a a podcast recently, and there's just a lot of reasons why men don't feel comfortable signing with women. Uh, According to this female agent, the the tide is changing a little bit more, like guys are realizing that, um, you know, as long as women can do the work, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. Um, But at the time, you know, this is over 10 years ago now, it just, you know, it, it was kind of, it was not as popular um and you know they said it's not it's just probably not going to happen unless you have someone who you can bring to a large agency there's no way a large agency is going to hire you um and if you want to go out on your own it's very expensive uh there's a lot so unless you're independently wealthy you won't be able to start your own agency so I wasn't, I'm not independently wealthy,
1: so
0: so I said, okay, well, you know, perhaps this is not the right thing for me.
1: And so were the seeds of philanthropy already there or what happened next?
0: So growing up, uh, giving back was something that was always really important um, to my family. Uh, And then to me, Uh, it's funny, my parents, uh, my mom and my stepdad were very, they were so charitable they were so charitable to the point that as a uh, spoiled teenager I was like you guys give too much like stop helping people <laughs> I literally I remember telling them that one time because like there was always something that they were doing or helping or giving someone a ride here or picking someone else and I'm just like guys like you know give it a break um but I still they instilled that in me and it was just something that we did you know as a family it was something um that just was part of who I was. So in, you know, in middle school, I volunteer in high school, I volunteered in college, I volunteer involved in different community organizations. Um, so in law school, you know, your time is limited, you're focused on what you're focused on, but I still was able to incorporate it into some of the, the groups that I was a part of. Um, I in my second year of law school I was the president of the Black Law Students Association. So I was able to take um, the position there and give back. We had um, programs where we had educational programs. We had programs where we partnered with high school students and brought them to the law school to show them um, other lawyers that look like them uh, or law students that look like them to show them this is a viable path for them. Um, so I was still able to incorporate giving back. I uh, was the co-chair of our, um, our school's auction. Um, so I was able to help uh, raise money for scholarships at our, at our law school. Um, so philanthropy was always something that I was still able to do um, in the background. So a few years after law school, I was serving on the board of a nonprofit that worked with youth and uh, with student athletes, but teaching them uh, life skills and using education sports as a way to help them with educational aspects. Uh, it's a national nonprofit, and they work a lot with different teams and leagues. So I was able to be in kind of back in the sports mix there. Um, and my business partner, they had an opening for the board, and I recommended my business partner. So uh, we were on the board together and left around the same time and said, "You know what? We both got our graduate degrees focusing on law. hers she received her MBA focusing on sports, marketing, and management. Um, And we're both not working in the sports industry. Like, let's start something. Like, let's, we're at a point where we're too old to get hired. (laughs) You know, we're not entry level anymore. Um, So that's not going to work. And we haven't had a traditional sports path. So we're not going to be hired by, um, you know, for a more senior position. So let's start something together. Uh, So when we were trying to figure out what it would be, you know, like, would it be marketing? Would it be um, some sort of other sports working with athletes we're like no like well what are we most passionate about and for both she and i it was philanthropy charitable giving um making an impact um so we said we can combine the two we can combine sports with giving back and have sports philanthropy so that's how we got started there
2: so it's cool to hear, you know, that that you have, you were searching all along for this kind of passion element to be found, and you found it. You also mentioned at one point um, when you were talking about being in law school and recognizing that that path kind of maybe, or you know, that straightforward path wasn't for you. That you recognized that your skill set um, was maybe a little different, or you were starting to recognize your skill set. What were the, some of the things that you noticed in yourself at that point?
0: I'm a people person um a lot of lawyers are not people (laughs) (laughs) are not people people uh they're more you know like they're they're, I mean that's part of being a lawyer right like you need to know the letter of the law and that's what it is you know and um there's not a lot of fluff (laughs) that goes along with being a lawyer um and not to say that I'm like a fluffy personality but I I'm highly empathetic um, and I like that extra piece um that's involved. Um and you know, I'm able to look and probably just from my upbringing, but I'm able to look at things from a lot of different viewpoints um and, and able to really work with people on different levels. Um and I and I my undergrad degree is in sociology. Um so I'm really able to take in those skills to and just see where other people are coming from and um, and, in law, they teach you, you have to look at, you have to be able to argue both sides. Um, And I definitely am able to do that, but I'm also able to actually feel both sides, (laughs) you know, so it's more than just being able to argue both sides because that's what you're supposed to do as a lawyer or be able to do. Um, I'm actually able to look at things from, from different angles. So I felt like those are skills that, um, serve me well now, but um, definitely were skills that I saw well and began to develop even more in law school.
2: So you decide to to start this business together. Tell us what happens then. How does that go?
0: So we're both working full time uh, when we started, and I was uh, in a, with. The, I worked a lot of hours at the time. I was definitely working a lot Um, my business partner had a a decent commute a pretty long commute to her job and I just was working a lot Um, so the idea of starting something when we're both pretty busy it seemed like you know this is not the right time but then we also said if we don't start now when will we start you know we both have been out of school for so long by this point Um, so we dug our heels in and we started. Um, I said, the best thing to do is just to get going. Because if you get going and you have everything up and running, um, it's hard. It's harder to stop as opposed to having the idea. Because over the years, I this is when we started, it was six years out of law school for me. So over that time, I had lots of different ideas. Some I tried to follow through with, some I didn't. Um, but I knew that the more you, the more momentum you put behind an idea, the more likely you are to continue it. Um, and that's what we did. We just went full steam ahead. Um, and in fact we were fortunate because while we were still building the company, you know, like we had worked on our business plan, um, we had, we didn't have a website up. We didn't have a logo. We just had a name, a business plan and a marketing plan. Um, I had a conversation with, a. a a former law school colleague, and told her what we were planning on doing, and she's like, "Oh, I have the perfect person for you to meet." So she does an introduction, and they have someone who had a need for the exact thing that we were doing. Mm. So in my head, I, I'm like, "No, wait, we don't have a website. <laughs> like, you can't. <I? laughs> we don't have business cards. Like, please don't <laughs> We were still using Gmail at the time. Like, <laughs> please, we're not ready." Um, but I knew just from the company that I started after law school, how difficult it was to get your first athlete client. So I said, I like, I, I have to, we have to at least keep going. Like we can't wait until everything is up and running because we may not get this opportunity again. Um, so, you know, luckily we did and we went, we kind of kept building as we had our first client or as we were search, And then from there, it was it's a referral business. Uh so we got an, another client shortly thereafter. So, you know, we are <laughs> both still working full time and both still very busy with our day jobs, but we have, you know, a business in the background. Um, so at a certain point we had to say, okay, um we this is what we are this is what we're most passionate about. This is what we went to school for, this is what we've dreamed of why are we still working our full-time jobs when we're actually doing what we dreamed about doing?
1: And was that a sudden realization or did you have a goal that if we meet this mark we'll step back?
0: You know, it was um sometimes it would be nice to say that we we chose this on our own, but for both my business partner and I, we were kind of like forced into the situation. She actually ended up resigning from her job. I think she would have resigned um, if even if she hadn't, even if we didn't have the company, you know, it just was time for her to move on. Um, so she did that, and for me, I needed more of a push. You know, I had a very comfortable job. Um, I had a, a, a boss that I uh admired and, and loved working with. Um, a great office, I had that dream office that I wanted as a, everything <laughs> that I wanted as a little girl, I had. um, you know, I had the office that I loved with the view, I had a a good salary. Um, And I had to say, so it took, it took literally me being pushed to say, wait a second, this is what you thought you wanted as a kid, but which you are actually really passionate about right now as an adult, you have the opportunity to pursue more. Um, So it was just like a perfect storm of things that Forced me to <laughs> to to um go quit and work full to resign uh, actually uh, and and work on the business full time.
1: I'm sure we have listeners that can relate to that. I know I can. And so was it? It must have been harder. Uh, I think that's implicit. Um, what was the? Sorry, let me back up. It must have been harder that you enjoyed what you were doing as compared to knowing there were signs that you should move on externally, what was that internal struggle like and leading you to being able to do that?
0: Yeah, it was difficult. And then again, I mean, I bring my mom in a lot, but it was a conversation I had with my mom. You know, I was like, I need a sign from God that this is what I'm supposed to do. And like the sign, like my, we were renting a condo and uh, the land, my landlord, I'd been there for four years and he said, he's like, um, I need to move back. And I was like, wait, no, this was just your investment property. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, my fiance wants us to move here. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I need, I need the place back. And I'm like, you know, so it's like, okay, we're, we're lo- I'm losing the place. Um, I had begun having more of a, a tenuous relationship with my boss and we had so many years of smooth sailing and things were just, and it could be because like my attention, you know, I I made sure that my focus at work was work. And then after work and before work was focused on the business. Um, So my, I wasn't as available as I used to be. Like I would work Monday through Sunday. um, And now I just didn't have the opportunity. I could show up completely at work, but on the weekends, I just needed to focus on the business and like, you know, I could stay until eight o'clock, but I can't stay until nine or 10 o'clock anymore. You know, like it just, I, you know, so like we, the relationship changed between us. Um, so we were not, it wasn't the same. So I had, uh, I had issues with, you know, friendships that I had had for years. Uh, I was having, you know, this was all in LA. Um, so Part of the resigning also meant moving across the country and coming back to New York, <laughs> so it was the internal struggle was like, I am giving up everything like yes, things are are not great right now at this moment, but I've had years of a life in l a that I loved. um Why am I giving up health benefits and a salary <laughs> and the stability to move back across the country and work on a business that you know is working right now but you know who knows what'll what'll happen so there was a lot of internal struggle
1: wow. so you make the move uh, what happens after that
0: i made the move you know the the photo that represents my journey um it's a winding road because that's what the path was after law school it was a winding road it was a lot of ups and downs and curves. And uh, that's what it was coming back. Um, You know, I had lived in LA for six years. I went after a few months after I graduated law school, um, I had created a life out there um, and it was a comfortable life. Um, But putting everything aside and coming, moving back to New York and starting over basically, um, but with this new business, It was exciting, Um, kind of like a road like that could be exciting, but it was terrifying because you don't know what's gonna come out. You don't know if you're gonna be able to stay on the road successfully. So uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. And it most uh, best describes the journey. Uh, A lot of road, a lot of bumps, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, uh, a lot of turning points, but in the end, Um, I'm happy with the destination. I mean, I'm still on the road, but I'm happy with the view. It's a great view. What are,
2: sorry, go ahead, Kevin. No, no. you go
1: ahead. Uh, I was just curious. um, So did the thoughts of generating additional clients uh, become more prominent once you've made the move?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All consuming. Yeah. because it's like at this point, well, we're both, in the business full-time so you know it's a lot of work i mean we're busy but we're like we need to be able to sustain the business and sustain ourselves um and you know having not having the full-time job um definitely created an urgency to say okay we need to go back to square one and figure out how to make this grow and how to make this um to be out there more because you know, we didn't have to be out there a lot while we were working full time, because we had our clients, like we could just focus on our clients. And like, that's really all we had time to do. Um, but with when it was like, we're both in the company full time, we need to have more brand awareness, we need to do more business development. And that's what happened.
2: So what is a, a kind of a day in the life of in your business look like?
0: So different every day. Um, you know, so we I talked uh, in the beginning about we're a consulting firm. Um, but last 2018 we started doing more events. Um so we began about 50% of our our business was consulting and 50% was was with events. Um so it, if we have an event going on, it's like completely different because the consulting doesn't stop. Like we still have to our focus is still on the clients, but You know, an event. There's a lot that goes into an event. (laughs) Working to you know secure the speakers and um, working with sponsors and trying to get sponsors and making sure that people actually show up to the event. (laughs) You know, Um, but our event series have been um, popular and have been great for us. We we really love the events that we put on. Um, So, you know, if we have an event going on, obviously everything is all over the place. But when uh there isn't an event their focus really is just on our clients um fully and on and on business development
2: what are some of the things you find easy versus challenging
0: uh, i find coming up actually coming up with ideas is is the easy part for me you know like um i have a lot of ideas um they they come constantly um, so that's like that's the easy part sometimes finding clients to go with those ideas, you know, like <laughs> I'm like, hey, guys, like come because I have all these ideas I would love to give to you. <laughs> um you know, getting new clients is is difficult, you know, uh, we're in an industry where it's not easy to work with professional athletes. um you know, we were very fortunate with how we got our first client, but that's like the hardest part is getting. The first client um because you know i got to learn more about professional athletes th- during the time that I'm, I'm working with them and it's very difficult in terms of who you can trust um what you know people promising a lot and delivering not a lot um, so really it just making sure that we stand out and we somehow are able to convey that you know we're different. <laughs> you know, we're, we're we're different um because we're not doing this because we wanted to work with athletes. We're doing this because there's a lot of change that we would love to see and we are able to use athletes to use their platform and their resources and their celebrity to make changes. Um so that's you know that's our goal and that's our mission. Um if we weren't working with professional athletes and we were independently wealthy, we would just be doing it on our own, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if we were, or if we had our own celebrity, we would just be doing it on our own. But we know that athletes and other influencers have like such a great platform. Um, that that's what we're doing. So,
1: and I've noticed in the music industry, uh, you mentioned people that it's that first client is always uh, the hardest. And what I've noticed in reaching out to uh, for this project and others is uh, oftentimes people want to know um, the other folks you've worked with. Have you noticed that in your industry?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the idea is, well, if they trust you, even if they don't know the person, it's like, well, if they trust you, then I guess you're trustworthy. So, you know, it definitely helps. Um, and I've, I've seen that a hundred percent with both the athletes and the people who represent the athletes, um, because, you know, they uh are I mean in any industry, but like, you know, with sports and entertainment, there are just more vultures than there are in other industries. <laughs> you know, and um if you if you're approaching being in the sports industry because you're a fan, that doesn't work because you know there are a million fans out there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I think that part helps too. Um I am a fan of the game, like I'm definitely a fan of sports um but i'm not a fan of like i'm not like a you know a super fan when it comes to athletes there are, there are a few that i i would but in general like i'm looking at athletes as people which they are so that definitely helps
1: makes a lot of sense and i've noticed the uh, it's they almost want that safe space where they don't have to worry that you're just doing that because you are a fan because obviously as you pointed out they get enough of that already so they don't need to pay for it or uh, bring someone in that's going to do that so yeah
2: do you feel like you've had to make any sacrifice sacrifices along the way in your journey
0: yes um you know healthcare for a little while. Um, (laughs) uh, No, uh, I miss having benefits, but like for, you know, that was a a really great thing uh, to have those, um, have good benefits. Um, But no, just being a business owner, I think more so than anything else um, is already difficult, but being a business owner in the sports industry, where it's a year round cycle, um, because most of our clients are in the basketball space So it's not just busy during the season, but it's also busy off season because then that's when a lot of the charitable events would take place. Um, So there is not really a downtime. You know, like there's not a sweet spot, especially if you have clients in different um, different sports because you know the their cycles are different. So then it's just twelve months worth of being on. Um, So I mean, I've sacrificed time with my family. I've sacrificed, you know different things, but I but tried to make sure that I incorporated things that I love as much as possible. So even if it meant um, you know, flying from one place and making a pit stop and visiting family during a long layover and then keep going. Like mm-hmm. I mean I obviously all this is pre-COVID, but I tried <laughs> to, you know, I traveled a lot. Um so I tried to make sure I can incorporate spending time with my family as much as I could. And even if it was just for a few hours, like to me, that was, you know, it was a sacrifice. Um, or if I'm there, I'm not a hundred percent fully present, but it's still, I'm still there. And um, that was important for
1: me. And what do you consider to be the keys to your success?
0: My faith. Um, you know, my business partner and I, we founded our company on our faith. You know, we, that was something that was, it was a leap of faith to to do it in the first place to to like have the audacity to say, okay, after all these years, like we can do this. Um, So it just took a lot of prayer for us um, and a lot of faithfulness to say, and it's a constant thing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but to say that we can do this um, and that it it can work.
2: Have there been any times where you've really felt that uh, maybe lack of, of surety or lack of faith? In, in what the what the future is going to hold? Uh,
0: uh, every day, I'd say. <laughs> As I said, it's very active. It has to be very active faith. Um, you know, they're just so, you just don't know. You just never know. Like, there, you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to be able to get another client. Um, you never know if the whole thing is going to be, like, a rug is going to come out from underneath you. Yeah. Um, we're proud of what we've built and we're proud of the work that we do, um, but we do know that it is a very competitive industry. I mean, we, we're, you know, we have a very small carved out space in the sports industry. Like it's not oversaturated at all, um, but it's catching on. And you know there are a lot of people who have experience in the charitable space and also have experience in the sports space who say, wait, I should combine this. You know, I, should, I should do that exact same thing um so there's a lot of of that struggle of like are we doing enough you know do we have enough clients like are we do we have enough brand awareness um I think when the pandemic hit was a huge uh a jolt in our our faith (laughs) um it, it was difficult because the sport all of a sudden Um, I remember the day very clearly sports stopped, Mm -hmm. you know, once the NBA stopped, I knew everything else was going to, to follow. Um, You know, I remember I had um, the FSU, I actually had the FSU game on and (laughs) and, and when I saw it, I'm like, okay, like we're not, you know, there's not going to be March Madness. Like this is not going to happen. And I remember watching the players and just thinking like, what is going to happen for our business if there are no sports, right? like. If there are no sports, how can we have a sports business? Um, so that and events
2: too, right? I mean, you're you're in kind of two industries that were hard hit. And I was yeah. just going to ask you about that. Tell us a little bit what it's been like to try and think about how to navigate this time.
0: Yeah, you know, the first few weeks were very difficult because no one had any answers. You know, I remember having conversations with my business partner every day, and the same thing. It's like we kept every we we would begin a topic. And then we would say, well, we don't, but actually we don't know because we didn't know (laughs) we like there, it was so hard to make a plan and Mm -hmm. we were so sick of saying we don't know. So we just stopped talking for a couple of days, a couple of days we were just like, you know what, let's just stop because we don't know, (laughs) you know, and this is like, it's futile, like for us to keep having these conversations. Um, So I think that was very difficult. Um, But then at a certain point, it's like, okay, we've, weathered other storms before obviously this is like a storm like nothing we've ever encountered um but let's figure out a way to make this work uh let's figure out a way to pivot and um in the beginning a lot of difficulty around what could be done on a terrible side mm-hmm. because it was so new and there were so many questions as to what was needed and how to deliver it and what can be you know short of just giving money how could people make an impact on the charitable side? Um, So then as the weeks progressed, it became more clear that there were other things that could be done. But in the beginning, we just weren't sure. We didn't know what it would look like.
1: And this is kind of a off topic based on what we've been talking about. But for some reason, when you mentioned uh, some of that, it made me think, are there commonalities you've identified among your clients or uh, professional athletes or other high performers, uh, do you see anything across the board that they share, any characteristics that have made them successful in their own right?
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's a drive that that athletes, professional or otherwise, have that, you know, that I, I draw on because I'm not an athlete myself. Um, so I look at the, that they all have this strain of no matter what, I'm going to make, make it happen. Um, So I try to bring that into my business practice um, because, you know, it's not innate because it's innate in other ways, but it's a different athletes definitely just have a different drive and a different motivation that it's like, no matter what, I'm going to make it work. Um, You know, you watch athletes um, play through pain or, or fight through injuries at rates that other people can't because it's that underlying drive of i have to believe in myself um and i have to make it happen Um, so i try to bring that into my our business
1: Uh, what have you learned about yourself throughout your own journey
0: that uh you know before we started um before we started this particular company because there had been so many winding roads I had to keep believing that it was all going to work out. It didn't seem like it was going to work out. You know, it didn't seem like I was ever going to get back to the sport, into sports. Um, It didn't seem like, you know, it it didn't seem like my real dreams would ever come true. Um, So I lived with that for a while. Um, But I kept, you know, I I, I just kept living. Um, and I think starting the company, I realized, um, and then everything that comes along with working in the sports industry, um, I realized that, that it was a fight that I had, you know, like, even though I didn't think, I didn't know if it was going to work, I never gave up in the back of my head. And I think that helped.
2: So what advice would you give someone who, I guess we could look at this question a lot of ways, going into law, starting their own business, working in the sport kind of philanthropy space.
0: The biggest advice is that whole, I mean, it sounds so cliche and so, but you just have to believe in yourself. Like you have to, um, you don't have to, but if you want to keep going, you should believe in yourself (laughs) or you should at least try, (laughs) you know, and you can't always do it on your own. You know, like like you, you need to sometimes reach out to people and have them remind you of what you've done. I think that's a really big, um, piece of advice because, you know, when I am having those moments and usually it's my mom I reach out to, um, she likes to remind me of, what I've already accomplished. And she's like, you know, remember this, remember that, remember when this wasn't working and you kept going, you know, like, um, so having that either internal voice or having someone who can remind you of how you persevered in the past um, and how things might've looked really dismal and they ended up working out, um, it helps you keep going. So like, I try to do that on my own now a lot. I just try to say, okay, um, think, think back, you know, think back when you didn't think this was going to work and then it ended up working.
1: Kudos to mom. <laughs> 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 um, and so you, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the term imposter syndrome, uh, whether well, it's ever a time either in law school or later on with your business ventures that you yourself felt like you might be faking it till you made it or just faking it in general. So, I went to um an elite i hate using the word elite, but it was an
0: elite private school new England private school and um I started in eighth grade eighth grade through um through high school so I got rid of the imposter syndrome there um because that's the place where I really should have had the imposter syndrome. you know I came from you know a middle class public school that was you know it was a middle class public school to an elite private, New England private school uh, with people that, you know, whose parents were doing things that I could never imagine, you know, like just very, very influential people. Um, and I thrived there. Um, I was able to go, I, I made lifelong friends. Um, I was very, very involved um, from the moment I got there. Uh, so I think I got rid of feeling like an imposter at a time, at a very early age, um, because somehow I made it work and I fit into a place where I really shouldn't have fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm able to bring those, like nothing, everything else has been downhill since then. You know, like that was, I think the peak, especially at a time when you're a kid and trying to figure things out, like that was the peak place where um, I was able to just get rid of, I didn't belong.
1: Amazing. I'm a serial, uh, public school kid. And so I don't know how many people I've told this before, but I guess at least the number of listeners will know this now, but uh, it was like my third year of grad school PhD program. I was still afraid my mentor would come in and say, we made a mistake. <laughs> we let you in. What, what are you doing here? Just go home. And uh, so it was, it was uh, finally after I finished the program, uh I kind of got rid of most of it, uh, at least surrounding my academic capabilities. So. So that's awesome that the uh, you had that experience early enough that it kind of solidified the rest of your career. That's good.
0: Thank you. Now I will say, um, you know, coming into the sports industry, I think my biggest feeling of being an imposter is that I don't, I didn't work in the sports industry like everyone else. If you hear I work in the sports industry, your career, you know, you can't, you are either at a team or a league or a large brand. Like that's what it means to work. In the sports industry so the imposter that I sometimes feel is that I don't work in the sports industry and I have to remind myself you work with professional athletes <laughs> you've mm-hmm. been doing this for three years now you work in the sports industry but like there are times where I definitely take a step back and I'm like well I don't really work in the sports industry just because I don't have that traditional path of working at a team league or you know at a, a sports brand sure makes that
2: sense so Kevin and I met in in grad school uh studying expert performance. His advisor is Anders Ericsson, who's a, a world-renowned expert on expertise. Um and so we've always had since that time an immense interest and in, around the the idea of how do you develop expertise and, and how does you know that become possible. And and it really stems from the nature-nurture debate of you know, are, we, are we on the one very far end of the continuum where we're born with everything we need? And then on the other end of the continuum, you know, we, we make it happen or life makes it happen. So if you consider that dynamic, what would you attribute to, to nature versus nurture?
0: You know, I think it's a happy medium. Um, I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but I definitely think that there's certain things that you're just born with. Um, but there's other things that have to be, that, that have to be nurtured. Um, but then there's other things that just come from what you put into it. So I'm definitely like, uh, I think it's a middle of the road there because I've seen, I think even in my own life, I've seen it just the two converge. There was a lot in me before I went to the school, um, that I had just mentioned in in eighth grade. But like a lot that I learned there um, that I was able to make me into who I am and carry that still to this day.
1: Is there anything that we haven't asked you about yet that you feel is important for the listeners to know? I
0: think one thing that I didn't mention when I was talking about the winding path um, that's really important to keep in mind is that no experience is wasted. Um, And I think sometimes when you're in those experiences, you feel like they're wasted (laughs) experiences uh, and you can't see why, how they would fit into the puzzle. Um, But during that journey between law school and eventually co-founding Champions for Philanthropy, there were a lot of experiences that I had and and jobs that I had that I just couldn't understand how they would fit into the puzzle. Uh, It's because I didn't understand the puzzle. I, I didn't know what the end was going to be um so now that i am further along i'm able to look back and say okay all of those pieces fit and like i needed those experiences to go with where i am here now um and i needed those skills that i developed during that that time so um yeah i think that's something really important to leave with everyone is is no matter where you are right now no matter what you're going through that you are going to be able to look back later and use skills um and experience and draw from experiences later on in life.
2: Now that you've started uh championship preferably 3 and have been doing it for a few years do you feel like you now see the puzzle a bit more or is it still like hmm I wonder how this puzzle's going to turn out?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm I think I am well versed enough now to know let me just keep going because I know that (laughs) who knows how the puzzle, (laughs) you know, I thought I would always think that these were how things were going to lay out and it was going to be this perfect. I definitely had an idea of like the perfect life and how what it would look like. And um, I think now I'm just a little bit more trusting and saying, "Let, let me just keep going with the flow and see what happens.
2: What's it like doing that? Because you started your story kind of saying, you know, you had this goal in mind and you were full force trying to go towards that. And now it sounds like you're trying to just follow things along a bit. What's that like?
0: It's difficult. Um, COVID is teaching me like (laughs) this pandemic has shown me all I'm a controlling person. Like I'm controlling every aspect of my life. Um, that sometimes you're just out of control and there's nothing (laughs) you can do about it and you just have to go with the flow and I'm not a go with the flow kind of person. Um, Everyone in my life could tell you that. (laughs) Um, But I think this pandemic has been a great example for me that you have to go with the flow because I cannot plan anything and I haven't been able to plan anything both professionally and business-wise. I can you know, have an idea of something I want to do and definitely you can make you know, have a a, a high-level picture, but I have to adjust, and I've had to adjust, so. We've
1: had the same experience. Even the stuff that's being postponed into 2021, we're not certain how that's going to play out, so. Yeah.
2: It's, I just think it's fascinating, too, because on the one hand, I think it's, like you said, it's you have to learn this kind of art of acceptance, right? And the fact that you can't control everything. But on the other hand, at least for me, and I'm curious to your thoughts, you know, sometimes I'm like, but don't let go of like that drive you have and all that. Like just, you can't completely lose that because that's what partly what got you here. So it's this kind of wrestling of like, I know I've got to accept, but I also am scared of letting go of that drive.
0: (laughs) It's such a uh, delicate balance because like you said, it's easy I mean, there, in the beginning, it's definitely easy to slip into the other side and where you're just like, I'm going to completely let go. Whatever is, gonna is <laughs> going to happen is going to happen. Like, I had two full weeks of Netflix binges, and I did <laughs> <buy> that <laughs> because I'm like, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Like, I clearly can't control anything anymore. Uh, but then I had the awakening, like, okay, you might not be able to control things exactly the way you want to, but you still need to have that drive you still need to be making plans and you just accept that they may change um but you still have to develop them and you still have to keep that drive there so it's definitely a slippery slope (laughs) (laughs) for
2: sure
1: what's the biggest takeaway from your story
0: keep going you know um i think that's the biggest thing um keep going because even when um, I had the position that I had before I uh resigned to start my my company here um I really could have stayed I would have been a lifelong employee um there because I mean I was in a great position, and it didn't make sense necessarily to rock the boat um and leave that um and don't be afraid to take a leap because um you know i I moved across back across the country. Uh And I was afraid to take that leap because i i didn't i mean how would that look like I had given up my life to move to l a like how would it look to move back from l a to New York? you know like what would people think and you know what what does what did this mean about me and my capabilities and my you know um so you have to really black out a lot of the outside noise, even if sometimes the noise you think there's gonna be noise and there's really not it's just your <laughs> the whole noise that you have in your head. Um, but it's really important to just do what's best for you. So I've done that in my life, my business life, my, my personal life, like to really just do what's best for you, uh, take a leap, trust. And for me, it's pray.
2: And have a good mom in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> that helps.
0: <laughs>
1: and I do have a quick follow-up question. Uh, did it take you time or practice? to start listening more to yourself for those inner voices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and to the right ones, because I mean, I definitely listen to a lot of the inner voices that would say like, you can't do this. Like, who do you think you are? Like, this is not going to work. Like, remember when you tried, you know, remember when you tried the lifestyle management brand and it didn't (laughs) work? Like, why do you think this one would? Um, So really just listening to the right ones um, and just getting in tune, you know, and for some people that's, through yoga and meditation, or you know, some people is through running or biking, you know, and being active. So just really figuring out how you best hear the voice. Um, for me, it's the beach. Like I can, you know, I can censor myself and get. It's a lot harder moving to the back to New York. <laughs> you,
2: say, you had an easier access to it on the other coast. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I definitely made it more difficult for myself to hear that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really helps to um get in tune and say like what what is best for me what am i hearing for myself Uh, that's
2: awesome well thanks so much elisa for sharing your story and for coming on the show today we really enjoyed speaking with you
0: thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed talking to you both and, and keep up the amazing work i think it's great what you guys are doing
1: thank you so much The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman. Created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled. All rights reserved.